Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. And today, we're talking about how to empower and engage with an underserved audience at all points of the year. Joining me remotely from their London studio is Imriel Morgan, CEO of the podcast marketing company Content is Queen and the host of the Wannabe podcast. Wannabe is a weekly show that offers listeners motivational and practical tips to achieve their own personal goals, courtesy of high-achieving professional guests from the Black and LGBTQ plus community. Last month in the UK, we celebrated Black History Month, a time in the calendar when we stop and recognise the contributions of the Black community in the UK. As a news event, the media surfaces a lot of stories about this topic during the month, and understandably so too. It can be a useful way for audiences to invest in a topic that they may not otherwise throughout the year. The Wannabe podcast was no exception. It launched a mini-series called Black Kings to mark the event, featuring the success stories of black men and how their listeners can follow in their footsteps. But as we hear today, what would be nice is to sustain that level of engagement at all points of the calendar. Emriel offers advice on what has worked for her show and how that has helped to cultivate a niche audience. All of that is to come, but first, here's something for your diary that you don't want to miss. The journalism.co.uk team is bringing you four days of panel discussions and workshops at our next digital journalism conference, News Rewired. Join us from the 1st of December, where we will look to set you up for success in 2021. Talks include how to lead a disrupted newsroom, leveraging audio to drive subscriptions, overcoming the stigma of mental health, and much, much more. Head over to newsrewired.com for the full agenda and tickets. Imriel, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for you at the moment? It's good, actually. Um, it's not ideal because I usually work down in Peckham and now Peckham has had to close the entire building. Um, so we've kind of lost that office, but we luckily got offered a second space just before this all happened. Um, so I'm in Somerset House. So it means that I've got like access to a co-working space, cake on Wednesdays. Um, and a studio here, obviously, that I can use with much nicer microphones. So it's pretty good. I can't complain. <laughs> Sounds a bit more luxurious than my working from home situation. Glad you've been able to remain open in these uh, testing times. Um, of course, we're here to talk today about the Wannabe podcast, Imriel. For our listeners who maybe don't know m- much about you or the podcast, what can you tell me about it? So um, I am the founder and CEO of a company called Content is Queen, and it is a podcast marketing, PR and production agency. So all of the things podcast related, because my background has always been in audience development for podcasts with people who, um, from I guess from niche backgrounds, um, underrepresented groups, marginalized groups. Um, so I'm really keen on creating uh, spaces and stories for people that don't feel served by the media. Um, so I've been doing this work for a little over five years, but Content is Queen started last year as a company, but before that was the name of the Women's Podcast Festival that I helped found back in 2018. I see. So the podcast is an extension of that mission. Yes. Yeah, so Wannabe um, started a long time before that. It started in 2017 and it was really about showcasing um opportunities in the creative industries um specifically for young women of color who get told to become accountants lawyers doctors engineers um so i think i always wanted to be a creative i wanted to write i wanted to create 
anything with what was in my mind. Um, and I went down the path of possibly doing medicine and science. And I think I was just told that the opportunities weren't there for me. And I never really saw anyone in those spaces. So I created that podcast because I didn't want someone else to experience that. I wanted them to know that there are paths to success within the creative space. Right. So motivational listening, pursue your dreams, um, don't let anything hold you back, this kind of vibe. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of that. And it's. I think I like to believe it's quite actionable as well. So a lot of the people that I talk to have really unconventional career paths. Like the, they are people like their movement directors, production designers, they are film directors, um, incredible storytellers in their own rights. And it how they got to where they are is just completely winding and just so unexpected. So I, I quite like having them give really actionable tips on like, what did they do? And some people are really audacious. Like they, they just mail like commissioners their stuff. And they're just like, I just decided to shoot my shot. And you're just like, cool, okay, so just take a risk. And so I like to believe that while it is inspirational and motivational, it's quite actionable as well. And you should know, you should be able to come away from the, from listening to an episode and have an idea of how to plot the path to where you want to be, pun unintended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you're looking at success stories. What are the practical takeaways and, and how can other people retread that path? You touched there on the niche audiences and the young audiences. How young are your audiences? I imagine maybe even the 13 to 24 bracket. Oh, I don't think it's as young as 13. I definitely think it may have started out quite young in the beginning. It's definitely matured as I've matured. Um, so I think um, when I started out, it the, the core audience who I did have were, I'd say, between 15 and 24, followed by 25 to 34 and now it's kind of just tipping into that 25 to 34 space hmm, that's interesting so we will obviously touch on what you have been doing last month for black history month but in a general sense all year round what does this um age group really flock towards you think what what do you see honestly i think it's i, I actually spoke about this at news rewired so um this was, what, two years ago? Wow, that's a throwback. Um, News Awide, our digital journalism conference for the uninitiated. Yes, exactly. Um, it's been an interesting one because I've had to be in this kind of space of partially commissioning content um, with the idea that it attracts these younger and younger audiences. And I think what... I don't know that my conclusions have changed that much in the last three or four years in that I think short-form content is still really really key like really instant instant gratification quick stories relatable stories diverse stories so like um lgbtq queer stories are really 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 big things um people really want to see that representation um and they want to know that there's something that they can aspire to or a lifestyle that they can aspire to within that within those stories i i see that as like a really promising um a really promising space for these audiences um, and I also just think that generally, if you can create something very compelling and beautiful and interesting within like a 15 to 30 minute piece of audio content specifically, you're going to do quite well because ultimately they just want guidance. They want to be entertained and they want to be guided. They want to know what they're going to do next, um, which is a lot easier said than done, of course. <laughs> you touched on something quite interesting there because in news, we talk a lot about user needs. What is the reason that somebody comes to a piece of content what is the value that they really want to derive out of it um sometimes that's to get a perspective sometimes that's to be updated sometimes that's to be inspired there's a whole range of reasons 
What do you see as the main user needs of your niche audience in particular? I would say from my personal experience with this, it is being seen or represented. So recognizing themselves in that content, whether that is from a racial, gendered or sexual orientation space. Uh, I think it is to be entertained. I think entertainment has a huge, huge role to play. Um, It is for catharsis. and that need to kind of switch off and decompress and get away from whatever their life situation is. Um, And I think there is, I guess, the aspirational and inspirational aspect of that as well, is to see a path forward, uh, to understand where they sit in this world and where they can go in this world. So I think those are the kind of the core ones that I would probably pull out. That's really interesting. And that's going to be really useful for us moving forward in this um, conversation as we discuss what the wannabe podcast was up to last month last month was of course um black history month and that's a month that we celebrate in the uk obviously to celebrate and recognize the contributions of all black people to the uk um over the many generations so thinking about what the wannabe podcast is all about um what was your thinking and approach to the type of content and the type of coverage that you wanted to put out during this month yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I often think about Black History Month uh, with regards to the podcast. There's always something I'd like to do to celebrate uh, black people, black British people in particular. Um, and what was different about this season was that it ended up being all black men. <laughs> the hierarchy of my kind of guesting is women of colour, women, men of colour, that's it um so so it was quite different in that um when we first started reaching out to people there were a couple of people I've had on my list for such a long time um that I wanted in the last season of the show and couldn't get but they came about now um and then it we ended up with booking three men and I was like well it would just be a bit weird to throw a woman in into the mix um and actually I thought I don't often speak to men I'm someone that came from uh, an all-female household, a single mum, three sisters. Um, I went to an all-girls high school. I lived in all-girls accommodation at university. For me, I think as we started to see that men were probably going to be the dominant voices for this season, I thought it was necessary and important to have those opinions in the mix because I think even me, as a black woman in Britain, I am biased to what I assume and think about black men in society. Um, it is unavoidable that I'm not going to be influenced by the media. It's just unavoidable. Um, and the fact that I'm surrounded by women means that I'm not interacting with them on on a regular basis. And I think the, the feedback I've gotten from this season has been, you know, the conversations flow very differently. The opinion and advice and how people were motivated off the back of these episodes were really, really different because men have a completely different mindset when it comes to their careers, especially when they're high achieving and especially when they're black men because they face similar challenges around race. But because they are men, they have privilege. And it's quite interesting to see how that privilege manifests itself and like how brave they are and how bold they are and how decisive they can be and how audacious they can be in comparison to the successful women I speak to. So your audience really noticed the shakeup then? Yeah, um, a couple of people messaged me like, oh my God, I'm way more motivated, like I'm super motivated by this. Um, I think it was Daps' episode, which was the finale episode of this mini season. And he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal video producer, just groundbreaking producer um, and director, sorry. And they 
they said, I, I just feel so amped up. I just want to go and create things. I want to do things. I'm like, no, you never said this about like other, I don't want to call out any names. I was like, I've been really motivated in that same way by lots of the guests, specifically Elaine Moltoroff's episode, who was like the former editor of Team Vogue. She had me amped up like that. But it's quite interesting to see how people reacted to the men speaking. So let's take a quick listen to the episode with Daps or Oladapo Fagbenle. He's a Nigerian-born British music video director who has worked with artists like Stormzy, Kendrick Lamar and Iggy Azalea, to name a few. In this episode, Imriel chronicles Daps' rise as a professional from trying to make it in the UK to now living out in the US. They discuss not just his inspiration and motivation, but also many of the key barriers that he's faced. So forget my own videos. I did four videos in three and a half years, going on four years, in the UK. Yeah. And I pitched on between 30 and 40. So to cut a long story short, I didn't do any videos in the UK. Did you ever come to figure out why? Yeah, I know why. <laughs> oh, I know why. This is a broad stroke comment, and it's way better now than it was 2014. I bet. UK has an inbuilt hate culture. UK has an inbuilt self-depreciating culture yeah. where we don't necessarily see something until someone else sees it. Oh my God, you're speaking my language. And for a lot of, I feel like it's a black thing. Mm -hmm. There's this crabs in a bucket mentality. Mm -hmm. And your immediate response is to do, oh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, so, and that's just how we are. And I've seen it on several occasions. For example, I think, um, who used to do um, Crep Check? Was it Link Up TV or? I don't know, you know. I feel it was Link Up. They used to do a thing called, yeah, Crep Check, where they like go to artist's house and they look at all their trainers. And after that, they started doing car check. Right. Someone like me, when I see someone flexing, I get so gassed. <laughs> like, whether I know him or not, I'm like, yo, look, look how he's moving. This is mad. Yeah. I get so happy and inspired and genuinely joyful. He's flexing. Wow. Like, Love I'm so it. happy. Yeah. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm looking at his R8 like... Pfft. I don't even know. The top liked comment was, oh, why did he get the 4.2 not a 5.4? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a summary of UK for you. It doesn't matter what you do and what you give them. Yeah. That was a top liked comment. It doesn't matter what you give them. They're going to not find a positive in it. They're going to go to the negative in it. Yeah. Or that will downplay you. UK likes humility. They don't like people that's loud, people that's too outspoken. Stay in your box, stay in your place. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Why are you so happy? <laughs> Why are you so flexy? Why are you so arrogant? Why are you so... That's a general UK, you know what I mean? I so... This, yeah. so I think that clip goes back a lot to what you were saying about the value of entertainment. Um, communicating to people in a way that they feel resonates with them. But I think the whole topic here, which is the barriers he's faced and how he overcame those, and indeed he would go on to talk about how the US was just such a bigger opportunity for him and, and a way for him to grow professionally, you know, that side of the conversation too would have really also gone back to what you were saying about delivering practicality through a success story. So what is the value in having someone like Daps on your podcast to talk about their story to your audience? Daps' story is one of, it's a combination of talent, skill and opportunity. And I think we can't forget that like a lot of this is like he was, he was already primed in many ways through his brother's connections to be in a position where he could succeed, but he was also 
quite successful in his own right through sport um, and through the fact that he was able to travel and access different education systems and access to America, which probably also contributed to his success. So I think what's quite nice about his story and, and how it helps the audience is understanding what privileges you have and how to use them to your advantage. Um, and I think for someone like Daps, he's he's become like this creative genius and you can hear it in himself, um, in his own story, in his own words. Like the opportunities just never presented themselves for him in the UK. And I think when I've spoken to other um, black British talent that have migrated, so whether that's um, Lolly Adafope, people that have had to move over because the UK doesn't provide those opportunities for black British talent in particular, male or female, it's quite an interesting one to hear that moving to America is necessary, but there's privilege in being able to move in, move over to America. Not everyone can just up and leave. And now we're in the middle of a pandemic and travel's restricted. So I think it's just eye-opening for, for listeners to know that actually, despite someone getting to where they are now, there are challenges that you will have to overcome. And if you want to make these things happen, you might have to you might have to leave your situation. And what does that mean? And what does that look like for you? And I think people will have to grapple with those kinds of questions now. I'm also a big fan of how you um, stumped him at the end by those kind of two final quick fire questions. Um, what's the worst advice you've ever been given? And what's the best advice? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No one ever does, though, to be fair. Like, there's only been, like, a handful of people who've been quick off the draw with, with that answer, with an answer to that. You know, let me get your opinion on Black History Month itself as a news event. You know, a lot of people would say it's a, it's a point in the calendar when you can expect people to show a bit more interest in this topic and therefore a good opportunity to talk about um, certain topics you might not otherwise give the same level of attention throughout the year. Um, what do you think? Is it useful to have a news event like Black History Month for you? I think it's useful. Let's let's start there. I think it's an in immensely useful um, mark in the calendar. It's really important. I celebrate it. Everyone I know around me celebrates it in some meaningful way in that we will try to create content. We will try to do something to mark the occasion because we know that it's probably one of the only times <laughs> in the year that we have to really put um, put that information out there to celebrate our heroes, to celebrate the people that are shifting culture, making change and creating um, really like just amazing things. So I think for that, in that respect, it's necessary and I think it's really important. Um, for me personally, um, I've just always grown up with black history in my household and I, I that is a privilege because I recognise that one, the curriculum doesn't do it and not everyone knows that and they don't necessarily have parents that know that or grandparents that know that. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that my parents were really keen on us knowing those things, knowing who, the who's who in, in black history and spending that time. So I've never been like, oh, it's Black History Month. Like I need to go to an event and I need to go learn something. So I don't necessarily feel like I'm a participant as much as I am a creator to for other people that may not have had access in the, in the way that I've had. I guess the counter argument is that there's a tokenistic gesture in reserving certain content for one month in the calendar and then as soon as november comes around we resume normality and we and we go back to normal levels i guess the argument is well we should have this sustained heightened level of awareness and interest all year round yeah i i think that's probably that's possibly why i have somewhat of an aversion to it 
when it comes to the media because it is the t- the time in the year where every organization seems to be on the hunt for a black person or black people to speak at events and talk about their experience and talk about their work and celebrate us in some in some way and in many ways that is very very nice it's very useful um however i do, i do think it's problematic that it doesn't it's not consistent and that these inclusive spaces that they're creating in the month of october do not continue past october i think something that was really nice i think it was last year or the year before was like the bbc did like their black in britain series in november just to kind of you know show that there's kind of a consistency in their their kind of efforts to reach out to audiences like mine um but i think overall do do i think we should get rid of it absolutely not do i think that the media on balance could do more to incorporate black and brown stories generally throughout the year absolutely um how do they do that it's about being quite deliberate diversity doesn't happen by accident inclusion doesn't happen by accident it's very deliberate um and i think often people who work in this space think it's going to be really really easy or we have it easier because we are black or because we are uh Muslim or because we are gay or whatever they think uh, that we have it easier because we identify with these communities it's not easier it's still just as difficult to one locate people um reach out to them speak to them pay them um value their time value their their resources share their content like it takes time it takes energy and it takes effort and I think that's what it takes to it that's what it takes consistently um, and unfortunately, I don't see that level of energy being kept up throughout the year for a lot of organisations. But that's not to say that it hasn't significantly improved in the last four or five years that I've been doing this. I think there was two quite eye-opening things you've just said there. One is inclusivity doesn't happen by accident. And so it's a very conscious effort needed to make that happen. But the other interesting thing you've said is that it's not any easier for organisations whose mission it is to promote diverse sources and stories to find those voices. You know, so it's equally hard for everyone to make this a priority and and make the effort. Do you have any other advice on on how to sustain this kind of level of engagement at all points of the calendar, Um, not just confined to um, one month in the year? Yeah, how do we we maintain it throughout the year? I think, like I said, it's deliberate, right? You have to seek people out. What works for me and what has consistently worked for me and why I, can, I guess I can keep getting like reasonably paid um, to do the work that I do is is because you just have to think about whose voice isn't in the room, which is so, so difficult. It's really, really hard. But you have to think about whose voice, who's not here right now, who's missing, um, who are we not connecting with, who are we not speaking to? And I think when you ask that question, you're automatically going to be in a problem solving mindset but you also need to understand that it is a problem that certain voices aren't in the room so you know um i always give this example um when we had our first when we had hosted the second women's podcast festival um we had the triple cripples headline the event um and as someone that called themselves the inclusivity queen on twitter i was like really patting myself on the back like i'm really proud of me because um the triple cripples are really good friends of mine now kim and jamoke are incredible activists disability activists um and they had come to the festival the year before and then became headliners at the next event like it was incredible their growth and their trajectory 
And whilst on the stage, they were just like, well, this is great that we're here. Um, but let's remember that there's no sign reader. There's no um, that like there's just certain people that could not be here in spite of the space that we have created. And I think I always hold on to that because the I felt shame. I genuinely felt ashamed in that moment. And if you don't feel the shame of oh crap I've left someone out or I haven't been able to feed someone because they're gluten intolerant and everything I've got here is gluten in it like if you don't feel the shame of like disappointing someone you're not going to make that change and I think that's a really good motivator at least it was a really good motivator for me to be like well who's missing can deaf people be here can someone re watch this video because it's not transcribed no what does that mean? and it constantly informs all of the work that we do so I think who's ask the question who's not here Who's missing from this conversation? Are they? Is it disability? Is it sexual orientation? Is it uh, trans people that need to be involved in these conversations? Black people, Asian people, everyone. You need to have that conversation with your teams, with your staff, and even with yourself. Like, who am I not hearing from? And use Twitter lists. Like, oh my God, there are so many people. Like, people have done this work. Like, I don't understand how people don't know who to reach out to anymore because... You can literally just go to certain Twitter profiles and someone has created a public list of like black feminists in Europe. Um, like, I don't know, Asian people in STEM. Like you can genuinely find a Twitter list for anything and it's publicly available. So I don't I don't really buy the excuse that it's difficult to do, but you do have to be consistent. You do have to be deliberate. I'll be slightly uh, self-referential with this final question, Imriel. Um, you'll remember that earlier on I joked how you stumped uh daps with uh, your final two questions <clears throat> let me put the same two to you what's the best advice and the worst advice that you've received on growing and engaging with a niche and underserved audience oh gosh that is terrible how dare you i'm so offended i'm not <laughs> you know i had to i was inspired by the question oh gosh every time someone throws my question right back at me I'm always just like I've never thought about this in my whole life so I don't have an answer when it comes to growing a niche audience I'll start with the best advice because I'm gonna need to think about worst um the best advice I could say is observe before you approach um and by that I mean if you want to tackle a niche audience and you yourself are not from the group you're targeting or you, you have no like I'm not connected to it in that way. So an example would be uh, an all white team wanting to reach out to black female entrepreneurs for Black History Month. That's probably a really perfect example in many ways. So um, if you are if you are not a black woman entrepreneur, but you are like Sally from HR and you're like been tasked with this job or Sally from marketing, um, observe these spaces look at how they are communicating try to un spend time and that might mean long before october it might mean actually doing it from june um <laughs> at least at the very minimum so go into the spaces that you know they exist or find those spaces and start to really just be there um don't take up space don't be a voice don't add opinions don't do anything just be there be an ally be understanding uh listen to the fears or concerns when someone says oh often in these spaces people don't get paid enough listen out for that and then when you've got a better understanding of how people work how they operate how they speak then approach them because you'll be approaching them with an informed understanding of how they work um and they're and, and having cultural 
I guess it's cultural intelligence, really. Um, and so I think that's what I mean by that. Like, observe and then approach. But don't just go in blind. Like, oh, I just saw you on Twitter and I love your work. No, you don't. You, you just followed me. Calm down. Like, I, we can tell the difference. So I think that's my, that's, that's one, the best advice I think I can give. The worst advice is don't assume. When I, ugh, I don't really want to give an example of myself because it makes myself look bad. But an example would be like, you think that black gay men in London um, would really appreciate you using terminology that black American gay men use. So I don't know. A really poor assumption would be like black men in Britain really love RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's like possibly true for some and it's possibly not true for others. Um, but my point is like take away those really like asinine assumptions that you might have about these audiences and the same thing goes and this is largely but like around muslim identities gay men and women like remove your assumptions because the moment you assume you're losing <laughs> and you will basically create content that is a parody um of of those cultures and that's terrible that's how people get dragged on twitter um because they assumed that what a group would find funny or interesting or entertaining or inspirational just wasn't it and that was based on assumptions instead of actual information. Imriel, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all of that advice and talking to me about all the work that the uh, Wannabe podcast has been up to. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Great to hear from Imriel there. And I go back to what she was saying about being intentional. Inclusivity doesn't happen by accident. So if you want to sustain the attention of Black History Month throughout the year, for example, then bust your assumptions wide open. Go deliberately out of your way to find the voices you are missing in your news coverage. The clip from today's show was courtesy of the Wannabe podcast. Big thanks to them. You'll find that show on the usual platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, you can find more of our episodes by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature as a guest on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.